The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today with the author of a great new book on how to unravel and solve the complexities of healthcare. And we all know that's a big job. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Dr. John Patrick. Dr. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Great to be here. Well, thanks so much for making the time today. Before we begin our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? I'd be happy to. Most of my career was at IBM. I started there in 1967. I was there for 35 years, most recently as vice president for Internet technology. And I was quite involved in the early days of the Internet. I was one of the co-founders of the World Wide Web Consortium at MIT back in 1994 and spent all my time uh, developing technology and speaking about and writing about the future of the Internet. I retired from IBM at the end of 2001, 14 years ago, and joined some boards, one of which was a community teaching hospital. And that was a real eye-opener for me. On the one hand, I saw this wonderful institution that was saving lives and was so caring for people, wonderful nurses, great surgeons, excellent management. On the other hand, however, I saw a business that was really not automated. I came from the world of the Internet where click here and something happens, and I quickly found out that in healthcare there was no place to click. And so I decided when I turned 65 five years ago to go back to school and really learn about the healthcare industry and what makes it tick and how does it work. And I got a doctorate in health administration and wrote a book called Health Attitude, uh, which we'll be talking about. Great. Well, that's a perfect segue. Tell us about the book, Health Attitude, Unraveling and Solving the Complexities of Healthcare. Well, my goal in writing this book was to help people understand the system of healthcare, how it works. So at the high level, I would say the book is about the American healthcare system, what's wrong with it, and how to fix it. And as we all know, there are plenty of things wrong with it, but I bring an optimistic viewpoint to this, politically neutral point of view, I'm optimistic about healthcare in three areas, attitude, technology, and policy. Those are the things that need to change, and attitude has to do with how people are compensated and how we think about sickness versus health. Technology, there's many things I'm sure we'll talk about, some of them that are happening with mobile health and 3D printing and robotics and big data and the cloud and things that are really going to revolutionize healthcare in the next few years. And then we have many policy issues that have to be dealt with, the pricing of drugs, the availability and fairness of healthcare insurance, and it's a long list. So I tried to cover all those topics in the book in a neutral way and help people understand what's really going on. 
Well, Dr. Patrick, it's really interesting that you retired from IBM in 2001 because as someone who's been in the healthcare industry since 1990, we've made so much progress in the last 15 years, but in Internet time, we probably made one or two years of progress, so we still have, exactly right. have yeah, a, lot, well said. a lot left to do. So what is the state of America's health care today compared to that in other countries? Well, unfortunately, it's not a real pretty picture. The number one problem, and as I mentioned, there's a long list of problems, but the number one problem in the American health care system is the cost. We spend twice as much per person as other developed countries. And we don't necessarily get better results because of that higher spending. In fact, if you look at life expectancy, for example, we rank 45th in the world. And if you look at countries like Germany and Canada and South Korea and Norway and Australia and UK and other countries, they have really excellent health care at half the cost of American health care. So that's the biggest problem that we face. Several years ago, this thing came about. Actually, it was many things, but they've all been lumped into what's called Obamacare. What are some of the pros and cons of Obamacare, and how can it be improved upon? Well, a very fair question. It's in the news every day, and unfortunately, we don't really hear what it's really about. The Affordable Care Act has 10 parts to it. And it seems we only hear about one part, which has to do with the insurance. Who's in and who's out and how much they pay and how big are the deductibles and how about the websites and the health exchanges and that whole area of payment and being covered through insurance programs. And frankly, that part has a lot of problems. And it can be improved greatly, and it needs it. We really need a lot of fixes there. The reason it's such a mess is because... We're trying to bring millions of people into the world of covered health care. And when you try to do that by just shoehorning it in, there's no free lunch. The cost of that has to get absorbed somehow, and that's what causes all the agita in the system. But some of the other parts of the Affordable Care Act are actually, in my opinion, are working and contain some really good things. For example, there's a new method of reimbursement for providers. It's called the ACO, the Accountable Care Organization. And under this model, a hospital, for example, or a large physician practice, they will receive a fixed amount per person per month for a population that they're taking care of. So it might be a zip code in a metropolitan area, for example, and Medicare could make a contract with a hospital to say, we're going to pay you $300 a month per person for everybody over 65 on Medicare in this zip code. And the better your quality and the fewer readmissions that you do and the fewer tests and procedures, unnecessary ones that you perform, the better you're going to be financially. So this is a big shift in the way people are compensated compared to today's system, which is transaction-oriented. The more I see you, the more I get compensated. And the more tests I do, the more revenue we get. And that's all changing now under this ACO model. There are other incentives and metrics that are part of the reform, things that focus on patient safety and quality, which frankly is an area we don't read a lot about, but many people die every year due to medical errors hospital-acquired infections, 
medication errors, and there are just a lot of things that could be a lot better. And those are now focused on, and hospitals are measured on these things, and their compensation is adjusted based on how well they're doing in those areas. So the Affordable Care Act, it's a broad set of things that you can't just say, is it good or bad? You have to look at the pieces, and certainly many of them need improved. But when we hear people say we should repeal it, every word of it, that's just an impossible kind of a silly thing to say. Yeah, I think that's more of a political argument, and it kind of makes me mad when I hear it, because from my perspective, without trying to be too political, Obamacare was hard to get it passed, and I'm sure there were lots of concessions made to get it passed. If we spent the energy we had the last five or six years improving the things that were broken with Obamacare instead of politically trying to throw the whole thing out, we would have, I believe, lots and lots of progress, but we've gotten caught in the political quagmire on Obamacare. Uh, So I'm glad you point out there's lots of good parts of Obamacare. There are good parts, and as you say, it's a shame that it has become politicized, but I have to say that under the covers there are some good things happening, and I'm optimistic that it will continue to get better. One of the things you mentioned earlier was mHealth and mobile health devices and apps, and they're really From my perspective as a journalist in this industry, watching new companies develop and really establish customer base almost on a monthly basis, how long do you think it will be before these devices are actually participating in the care of patients versus being kind of this leading adopter, nice-to-have, interesting technology that's happening today? We are in the early stages, but... The growth is occurring. People are using these devices. Studies are pretty clear that people that measure their health and track their activity are healthier. It's almost common sense. So the simplest example is something like a Fitbit or other athletic devices, fitness devices. And they're not medical devices, but they certainly affect our health. So what mHealth or mobile health does is extend that through the use of not just a little thing you put in your pocket, but through use of smartphones. And if you look at the history of computers, there's an interesting comparison. The first real supercomputer was introduced in 1976 by a a brilliant computer engineer named Seymour Cray. It was called the Cray-1 supercomputer. It weighed five tons, cost $5 million. It used the electricity of 20 homes, and it didn't even have any apps or couldn't play a song. But it was able to do incredibly important analyses of things like the structure of bridges and the analysis of weather and thermonuclear weapons and biomedical experimentation and so on, things that scientists had wanted to do for years, but they didn't have a computer powerful enough to do it. Now, for the first time, they did. Well, that computer of 1976 is roughly 1% the power of an iPhone. Holy cow. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. So, in effect, we're carrying supercomputers around in our pockets and our purses. And what does that mean? It means that we can perform things previously impossible. For example, one device has a little attachment that fits over the phone, has a little slot in it. You take a small strip of paper, you put one drop of blood on the strip, you insert it in the slot, you start the app, and in seconds you have your cholesterol readings. So... People are going to be able to measure 
not just the number of steps they took, but how their heart is performing and how their blood chemistry is doing and look for ear infections with a little attachment on an iPhone that a mother or a dad can put in a child's ear. And there are so many examples of this and the FDA is actually embracing these technologies and has so far approved over 150. I read quite a bit about this in the book, The Subject of M-Health, and described a couple dozen of these different devices that are now available and being used. With that, Intrepid Healthcare will return with our guest, Dr. John Patrick. After this quick break, we'll be right back. CTG Health Solutions is proud to have been your trusted advisor for healthcare IT consulting services for over 25 years. In that time, CTG Health Solutions has provided healthcare strategic, technical, and operational consulting support to more than 600 healthcare provider and payer organizations. CTG Health Solutions satisfied clients are supported by some of the most talented healthcare consultants who have chosen CTG Health Solutions as their work home in large part due to the company's outstanding culture. As they say, the proof is in the pudding. CTG Health Solutions was named a Modern Healthcare Best Places to Work company again last year. Find out more about CTG Health Solutions and their world-class culture by liking them on Facebook or stopping by their website at www.ctghs.com. And we're back with Dr. John Patrick, author of Health Attitude. Dr. Patrick, one of the other things we're hearing about are kiosks similar to ATMs that are being developed. Are doctors really using these to conduct visits at this time, or are they still experimental? Yeah, it's really happening. The Mayo Clinic has been doing it for some time. I think the real measure of this was an announcement a couple of weeks ago by Cleveland Clinic, where they have announced a $49 telehealth consultation. You can go to the Cleveland Clinic website, and in less than one minute, you'll be connected with a healthcare provider through an interface. You can be at your laptop or desktop or your iPhone. And the idea of a kiosk is somewhat of a dated idea. A kiosk was, this, like you said, a phone booth with a computer in it. But now with mobile devices, we may call them a kiosk, but in all reality, they're going to be tablets. Like the new iPad Pro coming out in November, I expect to see that will play a big role in telehealth. One other mHealth device I should have mentioned is the Apple Watch. Some really interesting things happening with that. It has a built-in capability to measure your heart. If you're wearing an Apple Watch, it's monitoring your heart. And it sends the data to an app on the iPhone called Health. And Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles has connected their electronic health records with this app so that now a cardiologist doesn't flip through pages of paper to see how your heart was doing 30 days ago. They can actually see a graphical presentation of how your heart is doing every second of every minute of every day. This is going to really change healthcare and improve the quality of care and allow doctors to see patterns that may be arising in your daily heart activity, which could be the precursor to some kind of an episode and be able to have an intervention to prevent that episode from happening. For my entire career, in healthcare, I've heard of the promise of telemedicine, so this has been almost 25 years. And as evidenced by the guests on our show who have had telemedicine services for palliative care, for eye care, for general office visits, for urgent care, for all types of care, 
This has been in the last three months that we've had these types of guests on our show with services and applications in doing telemedicine visits. So I think it's time, and I think that the innovators are moving beyond the early adopter stage into, I guess you call it, the normal curve of when the mass people are starting to adopt. Because I'll tell you, I will go and get an eye care visit over the Internet much faster than I'll go sit in an office for two hours and wait for a doctor to be available when I can schedule it 10 minutes before I want to do it and have it done and have a prescription in my hands 25 minutes later. You're exactly right. We are entering the phase of adoption. And what's causing that to happen are a couple of things. One is that the Internet connectivity is finally actually pretty good. Uh, It's not as good as it is in South Korea and Denmark, but it's pretty good. It's getting fast and it's getting reliable to the point where remote robotic surgery is going to be quite practical. So you may undergo surgery and the surgeon might be a thousand miles away and you're on a table with a robot and the robot is being manipulated by the surgeon at another location. So the availability of reliable high-speed bandwidth plus the reduction in the cost of mobile devices, that's what's making it possible now to have mHealth go into the adoption phase. And as I mentioned, the FDA is not stopping us. To the contrary, they are embracing it. They see it as a way to improve health. Right. If I were to pile on the convenience for both the physician and the patient, and as you mentioned, the reduction in cost of not having to have waiting rooms full of patients and all the inefficiencies of healthcare, I think it's really time. And the fact that we did invest the last seven or eight years installing EHRs on the back end, so we have an automated system instead of paper in the back end. Yeah, exactly right. The the electronic health record is really essential to the future of healthcare. We will only be able to get the cost in line by more effectively sharing information and enabling providers to collaborate. Unfortunately, right now, the electronic health records, which are provided by 250 different software companies, <laughs> they're not compatible. And so you might have occasion to go to a physician in New York or Chicago or Florida or somewhere, a specialist, and that specialist most likely will not be able to get your electronic health records from where you live. This is a problem. This is one of the problems in healthcare today. Electronic health records are something that we can't live without, but right now we're having trouble living with them. But again, I'm optimistic about this. There's a committee at work called Argonaut, and this Argonaut committee is working to create a true compatibility between these various electronic health records. And that's going to be a really important step. I agree with you. You stepped right on one of my nerves from the Meaningful Use program. I call the strategy we use the chicken in every pot EHR strategy, and we definitely have suffered because of that. We needed to design interoperability in from the very beginning. I think it would be much harder for groups like Argonaut to decipher and figure out how to get interoperability. But I, too, am bullish that now that we have the data electronic, we'll figure out a way to get it interoperated. Yeah, it's not a technical problem. The title of my book is Health Attitude, right? That's <laughs> a right. A lot of these things are they're attitude problems. The compatibility 
it can be achieved. The Internet works exactly the same way everywhere in the world. Beijing, Boston, Buenos Aires, wherever you are, it works exactly the same way. And you can take your credit card and buy things anywhere in the world. It works the same way. But with electronic health records, you could go to the ER and get transferred to the OR, and they have incompatible records. It's crazy. The problem is the government let the lobbyists talk them into saying that interoperability was all that you needed. Well, interoperability, there are different ways to define that. One way is that if I can export a bunch of data from system A and then import it to system B, then it's interoperable. Well, anybody that has any technical experience with this knows that that's really not interoperability. It's, it's a uh, sort of a you know, multi-step process, and instead of following that kind of a process, the doctors will just say, oh, fax me the information. Right. So the fax is still our lingua franca in healthcare. <laughs> oh, it's painful to hear, but unfortunately so true. Tell us a little bit more about the health attitude, what you mean by that, and how it ties back to something you called a net attitude in your prior writing. Well, in net attitude, I said that adopting the web and making it a part of your organization and really taking full advantage of it was not a technical problem. It was an attitude problem. You had to believe in it. You had to understand the grassroots nature of networking and how to make things really easy for people to do. And I wrote that book 14 years ago, and sadly, I have to say that many websites today still just don't seem to get it, that the web is for us. It's not for them, and it needs to be easy. And there's so many places where you click and nothing happens or the wrong thing happens. And so now shifting to healthcare, health attitude, the name of the book, is very similar in a way in that in order to really reform healthcare, we have to change attitudes, all of us. I call it the four Ps, the patients, the providers, the payers, and the policymakers. As patients, we need to take more responsibility for our health. We need to embrace mHealth and track what we're doing, track our activity, collaborate with doctors, participate in some self-diagnosis through apps like Isabel, which allows you to diagnose what medical condition you might have, and then collaborating with the doctor to come up with a treatment plan. Providers need to change their attitude. The paternalistic approach of the past, where you sit there and the doctor tells you what's wrong with you and what to do, and there's really very little discussion. You know, those days are in the past. Modern-day attitudes need to be one of collaboration between the patient and the provider. And the patients need to ask more questions and not just accept, well, come back and see me in 30 days or go get this test or get that test. And the big deductibles now mean that a lot of people are paying out of pocket for all these tests and procedures. And so they should ask questions. How much does it cost? Do I really need it? So there are a lot of attitudinal shifts that are needed. Hospitals need to shift into a mode where they're focused on population health and clinics and treating groups of people and not expecting to get paid every time they do something, even if it's correcting an error that occurred in the hospital. And then, of course, our policymakers they really need a big attitude change. We are the only country in the world that doesn't have some form of insurance for every person in our population. We're the only country. I didn't use the word free. I'm not saying everything has to be free. I'm just saying that it has to be some form of health insurance for everybody. It's crazy not to. It's not good for the economy 
to have so many people without health insurance and tens of thousands of them die every year just because we don't have insurance. So we have a lot of attitude changes that are needed. And that's what health attitude tries to describe. Outstanding. Is there anything we missed? What else would the audience learn from your book, Health Attitude? Well, I think they'll understand why it's so costly. They'll get a better view of the elements of cost. A lot of people think fraud is the biggest problem. It is a big problem, but it's not the biggest problem. A lot of people think the lack of tort reform is why healthcare is so expensive. Actually, it isn't the tort liability that causes the cost. It's the unnecessary tests and procedures. Up to a trillion dollars of tests and procedures are performed that we don't need. So I really explain that in layman terms, and then I explain the mHealth, the mobile health, and what it's all about. I call these personal computers, I call them personal supercomputers, the PSC. That's how I describe the mobile devices that we have in our pockets and purses. And then I describe these various devices and how they work and how they can affect our health. I describe quite a bit some of the policy issues that we're confronting today, the issue of equity and access to health care. I examine, is health care, is it a right or is it a privilege? And most audiences that I've spoken with, they're 50-50 on that. But I try to come up with a way to look at that that's not politically motivated. It's a politically neutral view of the rights that Americans have or don't have. So I try to cover soup to nuts what's going on with health care, our health care system, how it compares to other countries, what are the things that are wrong, and most importantly, how do we fix them and how can we have a better, more affordable, safer, high-quality health care system, which I believe we can have and will have. Great. Now I'm sure everybody's wrapped up and they really want to know, where can they go to learn more about and purchase a copy of Health Attitude? Well, I would recommend go to healthattitude.org. Healthattitude.org has a little section there about the book. It describes the different formats. It's available in print, Kindle, Audible, and iTunes audiobooks. And there's a little description of what the book's all about and a little background and description of what I'm all about. So that's one-stop shopping there. It's healthattitude.org, and it has links over to Amazon and the various places where you can obtain health attitude. Perfect. Thank you for that. Dr. Patrick, it was so great to have you today. Thanks for stopping by and imparting such great wisdom. It's my pleasure, Joe. All right. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Dr. John Patrick, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.